I think the one thing that comes to mind is you need to know how much it costs like to be you. And when I say that, George has his own living expenses. Malcolm has my own living expenses. Like you have to think about how much does it cost to be Malcolm each month? And by doing that, you can really sit down and assess like what are the expenses that you're paying for? I think you will not or you cannot make more money or you cannot create that foundation for yourself if you have no idea what you're spending your money on. And so whether that comes from tracking your money, like I said, I was doing these reviews. And so I knew how much money that I was spending each week, each month, like you have to have some type of system or routine that's really going to show you like what it is that you're spending your money on. You can't cut back on things. You can't create goals. if You have no idea where you're currently at. Welcome to the Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's going on, guys? Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. And on this episode, we got a chance to sit down with someone's a little bit younger than my my typical demographic uh, for my guest. But this guy was sharp and I knew that he would be a great addition and value add to the show. So I wanted to make sure he got a chance to get featured. And so we got a chance to sit down with the millennial personal finance guru, Malcolm Hodge. He's a graduate of North Carolina A&T and currently works as a global sourcing manager at Microsoft Corporation in Seattle, Washington. In Malcolm's role, he is responsible for managing nearly half a billion dollar portfolio of some of Microsoft's most iconic devices. And, you know, while Malcolm was at A&T, he received a number of rewards, not to mention he became a member of my esteemed fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. More personally, Malcolm is an avid traveler and everybody knows I like to travel and he's seen all 50 states and over and over 30 countries, including spending periods in time abroad in Shanghai, Cape Town and Sydney, Australia. So this young man is well traveled. Um, He's a personal finance expert. He's someone that we all can learn something from. So if you're looking to spark your personal finance journey, then today is a great episode to learn exactly how someone's doing just that while still enjoying their life. You don't want to miss today's episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. And today we got a really special guest, uh, got connected with a really close friend of mine. And I knew if he co-signed him, I knew he was probably somebody that would be worthwhile to connect with. And then uh, we got a chance to catch up. uh, I think time is flying probably over a month ago at this point. Um, got to learn a little bit more about his story, who he is. And once he shared with me, uh, what he's all about, I knew someone that I would love to have on the show. So with no further ado, Malcolm Hodge, how are you, brother? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, George. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. So of course, you know, our listeners just heard the, the formal bio and all that good stuff, but you know, even though technically, for the most part, it was in your words, just why, why you're on the show, I always like to give people an opportunity just to candidly 
share a little bit about who they are and what they're all about. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like you said, my name is Malcolm Hodge. I graduated from North Carolina A&T a couple of years ago. I now work in Microsoft or at Microsoft in Seattle, Washington. Um, I work in our supply chain. I lead strategy for our devices. And on the side, I am a self-proclaimed uh, millennial personal finance guru. So okay. I enjoy teaching other people about financial literacy, understanding the value of the dollar, um, more specifically people younger, graduating school, going into school, uh, things of that nature. Dope, dope, man. Well, love to hear, you know, I'm all, I'm all things financial literacy. So really was excited to learn more about, uh, you know, what you're doing in that space. And I think I actually um, stumbled upon your page on IG and saw you. I was like, look at him getting get his Tony Robbins on, running up to the stage. I said, okay, I see you, young Malcolm. <laughs> but nah, man, that's, that's, that's cool, man. Really like, excited to see that. So one of your, we'll call it claims to fame. Um, which is, you know, very notable given the amount is that you paid off uh, nearly 80%, probably a little more at this point, 80% of all of your student debt, which was just over what, $100,000, right? Yep. Yep. Wow. wow. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, that journey, right? Like, you know, what made you decide you wanted to go aggressive and get the debt paid off? And, and more importantly, like, what have you learned through the process so far? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, it was while I was still actually in school. So I graduated in 2018. And make me feel old. Why don't you? Gosh. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. So, so in 2017, right, the last Christmas break before I officially graduated college, I remember sitting down with my father and I was looking at just my student loan balances and I could not believe how much money that I was looking at. Like, like you said, um, by the time that I graduated, it was a little over 100,000. So at the time that I was looking at that, that number was around 90, 80, $90,000. And I was just trying to make sense or wrap my mind around how I was gonna pay that off, um, what that would look like and how much time that that would actually take. And so then after I graduated, I, I was um, lucky enough to have a job once I graduated. Um, and so I really just took a step back and said, for the amount of money that I'll be making, considering the amount of expenses that I'll have, how much money would I reasonably be able to put towards student loans? Um, and then once I started to sit down and I'm, I'm an engineer by trade. And so numbers oh, is something that I enjoy, right? And so as I started to sit back and crunch the numbers to understand, okay, if I have 90,000, if I have $100,000 in student loan debt, then factoring in obviously your principal, your interest, and then thinking about how much money I would be able to pay down on that. That's really when I had to take those numbers and say, this is what that was gonna look like. And so I think uh, Nerd Wallet has a really good tool where you're able to go in and have a debt payoff calculator. And so at first I probably put in a couple hundred dollars and said, how much would this take or how long, right? Like how long would this take me to pay it off? And quickly realizing that with $100,000 in student loans, that that's not something that's going to be taken care of unless you aggressively work towards it. It's something that has to be a choice, right? It's not something that you can just sit back and say, I'm going to put a couple of dollars this month. I'm going to put a couple of dollars this month. I think it's just really being intentional on what the plan is. And that's something that I had to do uh, before I started. 
Got it. Got it. So a couple of, couple of takeaways that I got from that. Um, so you mentioned you're an engineer and I know engineers can't come out of college making a decent salary, right? So, it, you know, you don't have to share exact numbers if you don't want to, but my, what I, my takeaway is two things. Number one, that earning potential has a lot to do with your ability to improve your financial situation, right? Um, because a lot of times, you know, we focus on the finite, right? Which is just like budgeting, reducing expenses, which is a valuable piece of, of the pie. But the real game is how can I increase my earning potential and not let lifestyle creep come into play too much so that I can use that extra to kind of accelerate uh, my, my wealth building goals or, you know, decreasing debt, et cetera. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Would you agree with that? No, I, I think that's a totally fair assessment. And then also just like you said, the lifestyle creep or the inflation, um, when you're a college student, when I was in the cafeteria going for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. obviously you don't want to stick to that same schedule and you want to bubble it up just a little bit. But I mean, if that's what I was able to do for four or five years, then translating that to now being an adult, having a full-time career, um, obviously I wasn't going to the cafeteria, but still you know, keeping that same philosophy around keeping my expenses as low as possible, um, but still thinking, like you said, about that higher earning potential. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. So professionally, you are a global sourcing manager. Is that correct? Yep. Global okay. strategic sourcing manager. Oh, strategic. Don't, don't, please don't. <laughs> hey, listen, George, I earned that. I earned that. Yeah, I'm messing with you, man. I know, I know for sure. Um, and so, you know, being that, you know, that's, that's your career. Um, let me know how that played into your ability to kind of go to, go down this path of personal finance, you know, self-proclaimed guru, as you put it, like, just walk us through like how that career choice, you know, on the back end ended up actually being something that benefited your uh, financial acumen as well. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. And it, it it's honestly crazy how much the two intertwine. And the more that I sat back and said, wow, what I'm doing at work really could translate into our personal life. And I'll break that down now. Like it really came down to, and I'll take a step back because with supply chain, a lot of people may like people will yeah. be listening, like what is sourcing anyway? Like what is strategic sourcing? <laughs> Not the, don't forget the strategic. So global strategic sourcing, um, we're ultimately, we're ultimately managing the cost for the business. Right. And, and that sounds very generic. But when you think about Microsoft as a whole, and then you think about the hardware, you think about the software, I manage our sourcing strategy for our devices. So when you think about Xbox, you'll think about Surface and on all of those devices, there are different components that make up the ecosystem or the architecture of that device. And without getting too dorky into that, um, there are a bunch of components that get costed and you have to put together cost analysis or cost assessments for that component price. Now, within the business, we have financial reviews. Well, they, those might be weekly, those might be biweekly, they may be monthly. Um, and in those finance reviews, in those goal reviews, we have target setting, we have budget. Um, and looking at the business as a whole, and so this is billions of dollars over a fiscal year. And so the amount of time and preparation that I had to put towards making sure that we were pushing the business forward and thinking strategically, right, about like what that strategy was for those costs, I then took that same philosophy 
and then started to apply that with my own life. And so when I thought about my own personal finances, the same way that I would have a biweekly or a monthly finance review for the business, for what I was managing at work, I took that same concept and I adopted it to my first personal finances. So the same way that I was thinking about how much money I would be putting towards investments that month, um, the mm -hmm. same amount of money that I would be putting towards groceries. Like, like we talked about budget and we can get into budget, but it, it was more so just the philosophy of understanding that because I'm doing all of this at work and our whole mantra is around subsidizing and optimizing costs, like how do you take that same mindset and apply it to your own personal finances? And so really just taking advantage of that philosophy really helped me out a lot. Learning how to master your money is no easy feat. If you Google financial advice right now, over 3 billion search results will come up. The question is, what's right for you? When to save? How can I save more? The right way to invest? What to invest in? The right way to manage my cash flow? These are all questions that people have on a daily basis. And that's exactly why I created the Money Mastery Academy to help you transform your relationship with money. Just a few of the things that we cover inside of the academy is one, showing you how to increase your income between two to $800 without working more hours or asking for a raise. Number two, showing you how to completely and finally manage and control your cash flow so that when you log into your online banking, you're not unpleasantly surprised. And three, the right way to pay off debt that will not only save you time, but will also save you money. So if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, click the link in our show notes to learn more. We'd love to have you on the inside. There's actually a free training that you can get on cash flow management just by clicking that link. See you soon. Awesome. So you know what? That's I didn't have this as an original question, but this is a perfect kind of piggyback question. So I had a, a relatively similar experience. I used to do some consulting for Wells Fargo a number of years back. And I was in charge of, I think I saw you were in charge of a, of a half a, was it half a billion dollar budget? Yep. I actually was in charge of this. No, mine was, excuse me. I wasn't quite on your level. Mine was 350 uh, million was, was the budget I was in charge of. Um, and at that level, you know, and naturally, you know, you can forecast that a lot further. Um, you have a lot more runway and things of that nature, but it allowed me to see at the highest level um, how businesses of that size are managing budgets, right? And so what that allowed me to do is it gave me, you know, to your point, some additional context on like how I can apply that to the way I was managing my personal finances. So I'm curious, like, what are some things you notice about how businesses do it at the highest level? Is something that we can kind of learn in our personal budgets that it would be applicable if you learned anything? That, that's a great question. I think once you start to, and I'm sure as you did while you were as Wells Fargo, once you start to see the way that the leaders think about the business and how they're applying that to the P&L, like the profit and losses for the business, what does that look like quarter over quarter? What does that look like year over year? One of the biggest things that I learned was what are the highest impact areas, right? And so like you can, you can kind of think of that as your 80-20 rule. And so if there are certain cost runners, meaning if there are higher volumes on one side of the business, obviously there are going to be a lot higher costs associated with that. 
And so then taking that same concept, looking at my own personal finances, when I would do my own um, cost reviews, what were the things that I found myself pulling my credit card out more often for than others, right? Like what were the things that like that higher volume? And so whether that be, I, I mentioned groceries earlier, if, if, if it was something to that nature or something that I continuously felt like I was paying for, like I really enjoy buying sneakers. Like that's something that I have to think about. And so when I'm doing those finance reviews to your question, making sure that the things that are the highest impact that I'm doubling down on those even more, because once you look at those and once you're assessing those, the other 20%, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's not nearly as impactful. And so when you take that same amount of time, you could find yourself running in circles, looking at your budget over $10 here, $12 here, um, that aren't really worth that amount of time. And so really just focusing on what are the higher runners. Um, and then just the way that the leaders thought about the business, that was something that I certainly applied and thought was extremely valuable. Got it. Got it. Now that's, that's huge. It makes me think of this quote that I heard on a podcast uh, before I started podcasting. And he said, allow the small bad things to happen so that the big good things can happen. Um, and the reason why it makes me think about that is because to your point, if you focus on the big things, good or bad, right? The small stuff, okay, maybe there's a small little ball. Maybe I could, you know, cancel that subscription, but what is the real impact relative to me chasing down to your point or doubling down on this, these two, $300 expenses, right? Um, so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Start on a macro level first. And then if you have the time, space or desire to get granular, you can, but you'll probably still win if you focus yeah. on, on the- on Exactly. The exactly. Like we could, we could talk about happy hour, but I would rather talk about rent. You know what I mean? Like, let's have that conversation before we go back and forth on how much money people are spending on Starbucks every day. hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. And the avocado toast, as they right. like to say. The, the, the millennial thing, right? The avocado toast. If you would have told me like six years ago that I would even enjoy or be eating avocado toast, I would tell you, you're lying. But I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot, actually. Um, I do, too. So one thing I'm really interested in. Uh, so you have traveled. You have me beat here. And I have you beat by several years. Um, you have traveled to all 50 states domestically. And you've also traveled to over 30 countries. But you're the finance guy, right? So talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to make that happen, how you've been able to travel. And I'm assuming, I'm gonna take a logical guess here that you've, been, you've done it um, in a reasonable you know, fashion from a finance perspective. So walk us through, number one, I guess it's a layer question, where did you uh, uh, find this affinity for travel? And then two, how are you able to do so much of it and still keep your financial goals in mind? Absolutely, so I think to your first question, it, it really started just from my own background and that being that my family is from the Virgin Islands. Like my whole dad's side of the family is from Tortola and St. Thomas, mm -hmm. Virgin Islands. And so my first internship actually while I was in school, I did an internship in the Virgin Islands. And mm -hmm. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe one, that I was having a professional experience overseas, but then that's what really just got me excited about being across the border. And so the more and more experience that I got like that, so I, I went to Cape Town, I went to Sydney, I was in China and like through those different experiences, it's, it's almost like what people say with the travel bug. Like it's something that you get and you can't get rid of it. Um, but I think the common mistake that people make is people think that traveling has to be such a luxury thing. Um, 
first of all, luxury is really subjective, right? Like it comes down to like what you define as luxury. Um, mm-hmm. But then the second piece was what are some like strategic things that um, I feel like now this word strategic is strategic. <laughs> you know, it's funny as a quick tangent. So like someone said, someone told me that my, my thing that I always use is from a high level perspective. They say, <laughs> you know, whenever I say that, I'm like, okay, whatever. But not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it hits though. It hits. So with like thinking of it strategically, I was just thinking of if this is something that I truly enjoy, it's something that I've clearly found that I have a passion for, I'm not going to let me trying to make sure that every single daughter aligns to stop me from doing what, something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so then it's not how much money do I have, how much money can I make work to do the things that I'm passionate about. And mm-hmm. so that's when I realized, again, that traveling was that one thing. And so even by figuring out or masterminding credit cards and travel credit cards to figure out a way to make points work in your favor. Um, a lot of people can talk about points, but they don't talk about all of the losses that can come with those if you don't use them in a smart way. Um, that was one of the things that I had taken advantage of. Another thing was traveling for work, um, making sure that if I was going to go somewhere for work, how do I leverage this experience to be able to make a quick trip to go somewhere else? Um, just like small things like that, that I, I really started to just grow a affinity for and then just really started to grow after that love it man love it that's awesome um so being that you are immersed at this point i would imagine in all things personal finance right uh what would you say for your journey up until this point are a few like finance myths right like just things like you know what like i don't really i've heard it a lot but i don't necessarily know if i agree with that you know so anything that you can think of that you've learned along your journey that you would kind of dub as a finance myth I think the biggest thing that credit cards are all bad and I would go further to say that I, I feel like now people are starting to not be so apprehensive to opening a credit card or to using a credit card. Um, Just like a quick story, my father, when he was in college, he had people coming to him on campus trying to give him a credit card. And as a result of that, he ended up piling up a whole bunch of consumer debt through credit cards. And him going through that experience, that was something that he wanted to make sure that I never went through. And so making sure that when I first got to school, I opened up a small credit card. Um, And then I think it's just like fundamentally understanding that with the credit card, you don't spend what you don't have. And I think that that myth that people are like, oh, I get a credit card. I can buy whatever I want with it, or I'm just going to get it, or I'm not going to get a credit card because I can't do anything. Like I'm going to rack up all of this debt. I already have student loans. I have this auto loan and people think that the credit card will not work in their favor. I think depending on what your long-term goals are, right? Like if you have a house that you want to buy, if there's something like a bigger purchase that requires credit, you need a credit score. And so not saying that credit cards are the only way that you can increase your credit score, but it's definitely a tool in your toolkit that you can leverage and use to increase that credit score for you. And so that myth that credit cards are all bad or I can't get a credit card, like we, we need to quit that. Like people, like when we think again, like at the beginning of the show, I talked about just like really establishing wealth, like 
that is one of the things that I would say that we have to be a little bit smarter around if we want to continue to grow that level. Makes a ton of sense, my friend. Um, and so on the back of that question, um, knowing that you've, you know, again, immersed yourself in this space and have learned about what not to do, uh, what, what are some things that stand out to you as like mission critical? Like, hey, look, if you want to take your financial life to the next level, you've got to get these things down, whether it's one, two or three things or just anything that comes to mind um, in that regard. I think the one thing that comes to mind is you need to know how much it costs like to be you. And when I say that, George has his own living expenses. Malcolm has my own living expenses. Like you have to think about how much does it cost to be Malcolm each month? And by doing that, you can really sit down and assess like what are the expenses that you're paying for? I think you will not or you cannot make more money or you cannot create that foundation for yourself if you have no idea what you're spending your money on. And so whether that comes from tracking your money, like I said, I was doing these reviews. And so I knew how much money that I was spending each week, each month, like you have to have some type of system or routine that's really going to show you like what it is that you're spending your money on. You can't cut back on things. You can't create goals. if You have no idea where you're currently at. So that would be like the biggest thing. Yeah, you, you can't go any further without understanding where you currently are, right? 100%. Uh, I, I think the way I put it is you cannot improve what you don't measure, right? So it's like if I want to drink a gallon of water every day, but I don't, I don't, I'm not pouring it from a gallon jug or drinking it directly from a gallon jug. How do I know I'm actually getting, you know, those ounces in, right? I have to have some measuring stick and your finances is the exact same way, right? You just have to know where you're going. You have to have a measuring stick and, you know, that way you can determine if you're off track and you know exactly how, you know, how, what you need to do to get yourself back on track. So now that makes, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm glad you said that because that, that's literally the cornerstone of my philosophy as well is that you ha- you cannot improve what you don't measure. If you're not measuring anything, don't expect to improve anything. I even think about it um, on a fitness level. So when I really wanted to dial it in, cause you know, you get my age, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> your metabolism you know a few short years ago i could eat whatever i wanted and still have a six-pack but you know as you get older i was like okay if i really want to dial this thing in like i had to stop making assumptions about what i thought was happening and actually see what was happening right i was like oh, i thought i was eating healthy and i was eating healthy but i was eating more than i thought was you know a reasonable amount right and so when i started to dial that in and be able to measure that I was able to, you know, shed that, that unwanted weight that I would, had picked up during quarantine. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, it's just so like, it doesn't matter what the goal is, but we're talking about finance, but you, you have to measure uh, where you are to be able to know where you want to go. So that's, that's a very big one. Glad you called that out. All right. Absolutely. So now we are in the last quarter of the year, fourth quarter just started already you know, halfway through uh, the month of October. Um, been quite the year. Um, for, for a lot of us, I mean, I, I honestly, I've still been uh, very blessed this year and I cannot make any complaints, but has been a challenging year nonetheless, or a different year, um, than years past. Um, but with that being said, uh, what are you still really excited about as we close out 2020? One thing that I'm super excited about, and I, I feel like I'm giving a teaser now, but I, I started a nonprofit a year ago. And I am finally, like, towards the end of this year, I will be launching the scholarships that will go towards students, um, whether that's in school or people that are trying to get to school. 
Um, and this is something that I have been looking forward to for a very long time. Like even when I first graduated, I knew that I wanted to do something to help benefit the community and give back. Um, and so now I'm finally able to operationalize that and do it. And, and like you said, 2020, I like, I like the word you use different, right? Because there's so many adjectives, like insert here for what 2020 has been, but to be able to still be in a great, like to be, have a great experience and having great opportunities um, and being able to give that back to other people is something that I'm really looking forward to. So I'm excited about that. Um, I won't tell too much more because it's something that I plan on doing very, very soon. Um, but that's the biggest thing that I'm looking forward towards the end of the year. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, the, the question, I mean, you did such a great job of strategically and <laughs> answering the questions. I feel like we were able to pack in a lot of value in about just under half an hour. Um, but the last question that I ask all of my guests that come on the show is what does living life uncensored mean to you? First of all, I love that question. It just flows so nicely with the tag. I love it. Um, living, living life uncensored for me is really just understanding what, where my potential lies, making sure that with discipline and consistency that I'm continuing to push and thriving areas that I want to, um, the, areas that I'm looking to achieve and making sure that I'm not worrying about what society is deeming as successful or as um, doing a great job, right? Like that's what I define for myself. And so I think that that's every bit of the word in Uncensored. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know my, my listeners are going to find a lot of value in this, especially the, the younger millennials. I'm, I still classify, believe it or not. Uh, some of the younger millennials would definitely resonate with this and just thank you for your wisdom and I applaud you at the age that you're at again when I was in your shoes uh, I was one of those ones who you know early on you know started down that path of uh, financial I became a financial advisor when I was 23 I believe it was so so yeah so just good to see that you know you guys are coming out of college and still wanting to um, go down this path and just learn and empower inspire other people so thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Future's in good hands. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, Money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours?